I really like Christmas. Uh, I know that you might be surprised to hear that when you look at my house. I don't decorate a lot for Christmas. It's not really a big thing for me that way. But I really do enjoy the time to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. And probably a lot less than that, I also like Christmas because it's a time when new movies get released. Don't know if you've noticed. There's a lot of new movies that have gotten released lately. Uh, There's one, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, that a few people have mentioned a few times. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you any spoilers for that one. Uh, But I do enjoy Christmas because a lot of good stories come out at this time. And there's a specific kind of story that, honestly, I'm a sucker for. I'm a sucker for redemption stories. You know what they look like, right? Somebody is horribly evil. He's like evil incarnate. And then something throughout the movie happens, or the book. I also read books. It happens there too. And the, the person at some last point, just at the end of the film, for some reason, comes to turn his back from the evil and turn towards the good. Uh, I don't think anybody is going to be too worried about the spoilers on this one for Return of the Jedi, which is, you know, it was released in 84, so hopefully you've seen it by now. But I'm a sucker for that moment when uh, Anakin, or as we know him, Darth Vader, you know, a deep voice with James Earl Jones in the background, heavy breathing and everything, turns away from evil, betrays the emperor, and then at the end, when he's being dragged to the shuttle by his son, son, he's dying, his son takes off his helmet and says, I've got to save you. And, And Anakin says, you already have. I'm a sucker for that. I totally am. I, 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 I am kind of geeky, so I do get tears at that moment. It's not just redemption of people, though. There's redemption of situations that I enjoy. I, know, I love how in so many movies and in so many books, the, the, la- the dramatic tension is built to a fever pitch as everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. Nothing could possibly redeem the situation you're thinking. And, you know, a single tear runs down the eye of the main character. And then suddenly, just a snap, everything changes. Everything changes. The thing that you thought couldn't be redeemed is redeemed. The situation turns from horrible to amazingly, unspeakably Good, and I love these stories, but I have to admit, I'm a realist. Born as a Gen Xer, you know, in the world that has a whole bunch of social media, I'm skeptical. I like to say I'm a realist, I'm actually a pessimist. I have a confirmation bias for the negative. When I see something, I'm less likely to believe it if it's good news. If it's bad news, I'll believe it instantly. I mean, that's media plays with me a great deal. They say horrible things about what horrible things other people have done, and it's like, oh yeah, totally. I believe it immediately. Because I like to say I'm a realist, but I'm not. So as a result, when it comes to redemption stories, I really enjoy them, 
but I have trouble believing them. It gets even worse at times like this in the year. I mean, we still have all of the flashy lights and things for Christmas, and most people aren't going to take down their, their trees and things until January 6th. But you had that, you've all had that feeling right after Christmas morning, the presents are opened, you've already had the big Christmas meal, you've hang, hung out with your family, and it was a good Christmas. But they've gone home now. The presents are laying under the tree. If your kids, get, your kids had massive joy when they saw that one thing that was amazing, and they've already forgotten it by now. These kinds of situations make it easier for me to believe that the world is a dark place. Well, because honestly it is. Lots of bad things happen. And good stuff seems to be fleeting. It comes and then it goes. It gets so bad that sometimes when it comes to things that I expect as good stuff... I'm already mourning the loss of the good thing I'm going to get before the good thing gets there. That's why I'm not quite as excited about Christmas sometimes as I should be. And that's kind of the situation we're in in another way. As Christians, ultimately speaking. We talked about the Christmas family tree. Steve uh, uh, thankfully went through the whole series about how uh, Jesus... Through the family tree, is uh, Jesus is a greater promise through Judah. Rahab has a greater salvation in Jesus Christ. How Ruth, as Matt told us, has a greater redeemer in Jesus Christ. How Adam taught us that Jesus is a greater king. And that all of this, as Pastor Steve would have told us last, uh, last Wednesday or Tuesday evening, is a culmination in Jesus Christ. But that's all past, isn't it? We sit here in 2019, almost 2020, and that's all in the past, isn't it? Jesus came. He lived the life. He died the death, and he rose again. And it's glorious, and it's amazing. And yet... That's in the past. I'm not going to say that's o- that it's over because that would be wrong. But it is in the past. And you see, I think Christians sometimes fall into this mistake. Um, we're told to remember all of the things that God's done, remember his goodness throughout all the ages, but we transfer the idea of remembering, actual memory, for the idea of nostalgia, living in the past. We imagine that the things that have passed are, well, past. We come to church and we thank Jesus for the things he has already done, which we should. We think that we live the life that we live as Christians merely because it's gratitude for what Christ has done for us. But that's a mistake. That's not actually the truth. And we're not the first ones to feel this. Just to give you context for the book of Revelation. Revelation is written by a guy named John. You might have remembered him. 
Pastor Steve has been preaching a book written by the same guy. John was an apostle. He lived a life where he literally rested on Jesus' breast. That's a real thing for him. He had a close proximity understanding of Jesus Christ. He was there as Jesus breathed his last on the cross. As Jesus looked down at him and said, John, your mother, mom, your son. He lived through the resurrection and the explosive growth of the church at the beginning. He lived through the first of the persecutions that came. He lived as people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he lived as all of the people he knew and loved who walked with Jesus gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. By the time we're reading this book, John is in exile on a small island called Patmos. He's already survived a martyrdom attempt. They tried to boil him in oil and he's still alive. He's probably got the reminders of it. Churches all over the world, as he knows it, are being persecuted. Depending on which dating you want to give, it's either Nero or Domitian. He sees that the world is dark. And it feels to him like this is as good as it gets. I've already seen the glory of Christ on the, on the hill I've seen the glory of Christ resurrected. I saw him go off into heaven. What more could there be? Some days probably he prays, Lord Jesus, please just take me home. Please, it's over. Please just bring me into your glory. And it is in that situation that one morning, as John is gazing out, The Lord God speaks to him in a vision. That vision is the 23, 22 22 chapters of Revelation. I knew that. (laughs) The 22 chapters of Revelation. In this book, God gives John a vision of everything that's going on now. He pulls back the curtain to show what the real battle that's going on. It's not merely just a small tribe of Christians getting oppressed by an entire empire. It's the God and King of the universe who will triumph, working his salvation through. And then John gets this vision just after the, uh, he's seeing about the judgment that comes for the righteous and the unrighteous, in Revelation chapter 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is the throne of judgment. This is Jesus speaking, saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was on seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Yes, I did in fact intend to read verse 8. I say that because I had a funeral a couple of weeks ago. My best friend from childhood died, and I went to the funeral, and they read the first seven verses of this. We'll get to why that was a mistake in a minute. John faced displeasure. He faced the loss of all goodness. And God gives him a vision of a coming kingdom, a time when things will not be like they are today for John then or for us now. The first and the most important point of this is the fact that Jesus brings a new kingdom. There's a lot of things that we can see about this kingdom right here in the text. Check out verse 3. I saw a holy city in New Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Get that. There will come a day when we will walk with God. Do you remember in the beginning in Genesis, there's a story about the the first man, the first woman, and one of the things that's mentioned is that they walked with God. The, The epitome of all that is true and good and beautiful, and they saw it without any inter... any blockage at all. And that is the promise we see here in Revelation. Secondly, notice that he says he wipes away every tear in verse 4. Now, it's important that it says he wipes away every tear. This isn't mere poetry. Lots of us like to imagine that, you know, the purpose of Christianity is to keep a stiff upper lip. We think we're British. Stiff upper lip, and we're not going to actually worry about crying or having real problems. And yet, what Jesus says is that in the case of real problems, in the case of real suffering, in the case of real tears that you shed, they are real. He doesn't say they're not. 
He doesn't pretend your suffering doesn't exist. He says he'll deal with it. Every tear will be wiped away. Your tears may be real. They are not eternal. He is. And he will defeat your tears. Death shall be no more. That's kind of an important one. We prayed earlier about the kid who died in uh, Clarenville. And I can't imagine what his family is going through right now. I can't imagine what every family is going through right now who has lost family over the last few days. It's horrible. It causes tears. It's sad. But friends, it is not eternal. God's promise is that there will come a day when death will be no more. That's not all. Right now, because we have death, because we imagine that things are terminal, we have a lot of mourning. We have crying and mourning and pain and all sorts of things going on because we live in this world. We live in a world that's not yet fully redeemed. And yet there will come a day when there is no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And all of that you can see right there in verse 4. Jesus promises it directly. And in case you're interested, in his own voice, during a revelation to John, this is as sure as any text gets in Scripture. This promise is a real one. This is for the future, and this is for his people. There will be a new kingdom that Jesus will bring. The story isn't over yet. We're still in the middle. Second, Jesus brings a new kingdom that is given to those who conquer. That's verse 7. Verse 7 reads, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now I have to wait for a second here, because there's one really, really horrible way we can read this. And I want to just nip this in the bud right now. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect now in your own actions for God to save you. That's not the point. That's not what conquer means here. The conquest is not you getting your, uh, you know, going on doing your training montage and doing your spiritual push-ups every day and eventually being able to overcome to the point that salvation will be given to you. That's not the point. For that, I would like to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and following. You can go there if you want to, but if you don't, Just close your eyes and I'll read it to you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us 
all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, which I imagine John was thinking about all the time as he faced this. And here's the money verse. No. In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Great, you're awake still. This is good. Because this is important. It's important that we recognize that the way we as Christians conquer the problems in our lives, the way we conquer the sin in our own hearts, isn't merely by screwing up our own willpower to face it. It's by turning to Jesus Christ and letting him deal with it because he has. In history, we remember it. That's why we remember it. So that we know the truth about where we are now. Friends, if you stand in Christ, you stand as a conqueror. Whether you still struggle with sin, and yes, you should struggle against it. It needs to die. But friends, be clear, it has been also killed. Christ is fighting it. By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh, not in your own power, not in our own strength, but in His. That's what it means to be a conqueror. Because Jesus brings a new kingdom given to those who conquer by being redeemed. This is why it's important to keep verse 8 here. One of the things that you recognize about redemption stories, there needs to be a real problem, a real danger. It's not just a put-on. To go back to my, my example, Darth Vader really is evil. His redemption is a real defeat of evil. But there are people who don't ever get redeemed. Verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God's wrath against sin is real, brothers and sisters. He really does punish it. There will come a day when there is no more evil, but that means that if you are evil, you will not stand. 
And before we get into the strange problem that people come to, if you have read this text in the way that I said, the very mistaken way that we need to screw up our own abilities and deal with it, you can imagine two things when reading this list. One of two different extremes, both of them insanely wrong. You can imagine at one extreme, oh yeah, I don't match any of those, so I'm good. Read the list again. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, have you murdered anybody? I'm pretty sure most of us haven't. Except I do remember that story by Jesus. Do you remember what he said about what happens to people who are just angry with their brothers? They've murdered them in their hearts. Oops. Sorcerers. I'm not, at least I'm not an idolater. Uh, I hope none of you has the chutzpah to actually say that after the single most consumeristic holiday we have on the calendar. Our culture is idolatrous. If we jump into the culture, we are two idolaters. And have any of us told lies? I'm probably about to admit a lie in, the, in a few minutes. You'll see it. But most of us are liars at some point. And their portion will be in the lake of, that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And yet, some are saved. There is a real danger. Because the promise of God in verses 5 and 6 are, is this. Behold, I am making all things new. That includes us. If we stand in Christ, Christ is making us new. These words are trustworthy and true. It is done. And notice that the star is not us. It is him. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water without payment. Friends, are you thirsty for righteousness? Do you look at that list and think the second problem that you could have by looking at that list? There's no way I can ever match this list. The mistake would be to say that because there's no way I can ever match this list, there is no way I could ever be saved. The truth is, because I match this list, I need Jesus Christ. And friends, He's free, he's available. You can turn to him at this moment. You don't need to take another breath as a sinner. Just turn to him, put your trust in him. He is available for your salvation because we are all of those things and yet he brings a greater kingdom. His promise is sure we will face a time when there is no more tears at all. No crying, no death. Where he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And so here's my confession. There's a, another movie that I sometimes watch. It's usually on cable. Pirates of the Caribbean. Curse of the Black Pearl. There's a part where the main female character... Uh, says to the evil pirate, Barbarossa, I don't believe in ghost stories. And immediately after that, 
She has to go out on the deck and sees all the pirates actually in, they're now in their skeletal forms. And Barbosa gives a long spiel, but at the end, his big thing is, you'd best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Swan. You're in one. He bites the end of the bottle of rum and tries to drink it, but he's a skeleton, so he can't. Well, friends, we'd best start believing redemption stories. We're in one. Right now, regardless of the situations we find ourselves in, whether we're joyful, whether we're facing the darkest times in our lives, you are in a redemption story. And the end isn't yet. This means a couple of things. For those of you who have faith in Jesus right now, well, don't live for this world anymore. There's no reason to live for this world anymore. There's a world to come, a kingdom far greater than anything we could ask or imagine here. Why would we waste our time preparing merely for here? We can be the kinds of people that God calls us to be. There is nothing stopping us from being generous, loving, forgiving, accepting people who really, really disagree with us and really, really annoy us. Because this is not our home. This is not our world. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And if we stand in Christ, we will see it. But what happens if you are not one of the redeemed today? If you don't know who Jesus Christ is? Well, I uh, I repeat something that I heard from a guy I saw preach once. uh, Ray Ortland. As he puts it, I am a complete idiot, and I'm going to repeat that. I am a complete idiot. I have an unbelievably bright future. That's what this sermon was about. And it's available to anyone. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, well, the introduction is very easy. Turn to him. Put your faith in him. If you don't know specifically anything about him, come talk to me. I'm I'm totally willing to tell you about Jesus. Talk to any of the elders. Actually, probably most of the Christians in this congregation would be very happy to introduce you to Jesus. And if you stand with Jesus, you stand eternally, and this promise is for you. In either case, though, We should keep the goal in mind. Keep the fact that this this story we are part of, this story we write day by day with our own lives, it is a redemption story. Don't revel in your present successes, imagining that they're eternal, and then have to deal with the letdown three days later when that present success fades. Don't be crushed by the failures and problems that you face day by day. The sadnesses that are real. Yes, they are real. But don't be crushed by them. Because there will come a day when this too will be redeemed. 
Because the greater kingdom is to come. Let's pray. Lord God, your promises are far greater than we imagine. We've just been looked into your word and understood just a glimpse of the promises that we have in you. So Lord God, now as we go into the world, I pray that you would convict us, convince us of the truth of your promises, that this situation, whatever it is, whatever is weighing on our hearts right now, will be redeemed. It will be for our good and for your glory for all eternity. And may we be a people marked by the joy of knowing that all things work together for good, for, the good, for those who love and serve the Lord and are called according to your purposes, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.